three short statements that we're hoping help to shape 2023. They literally shape your entire Bible, so it's not just us in this little microcosm, but uh, it's Jesus is Lord, uh, we are his church, and we are sent to make disciples who make disciples. That's the big idea of the next three weeks. So last week, Jesus was Lord, is Lord, Jesus is Lord, that word matters. Mike was about to jump. Um, Jesus is Lord. Uh, the second one, we are his church. The third one, we are sent to make disciples who make disciples. And so tonight we're talking about the church. And as I do that, um, how many of you, we're going to start here and then shift really quickly, but it's going to start here. How many of you have at least a little baggage with church? Cool. You guys can look around. This wasn't like close your eyes. Right? Like this was a real one. All right. So was that everybody? Um, the only people who didn't might have been kids because they don't know that they're allowed to raise their hands on that bad boy. Yet. And that's going to be ours. We're going to be that part of their story, just in case you're wondering. Um, we aim a little different, but that might be true. The reason I asked that to start off, and then we're going to make a quick turn, uh, is to say that all of us, I am aware, have had negative experiences with the church. Uh, big C, it doesn't necessarily mean this one that you've got beef with, but somewhere along your journey, most likely somebody who took the name of Jesus and gathered together as a church, uh, whether one that believed in the true Jesus, one that believed in a different Jesus, uh, whatever that was, came together, and at some point, uh, the church has wounded anybody who has been a part of it. Literally anybody who has been a part of it down to the point when Jesus was crucified it was the religious people shouting out crucify him crucify him crucify him and from that place forward a religious people have done a really good job at wounding people I don't know what it is I remember when I was 15 that was the first time that I in my little brain uh, figured out um, that maybe I didn't want to be a part of a church anymore so 15 years old was my first experience that I can remember where I was like, I'm not sure I want to do this. Uh, and obviously things have changed because my career path is a little bit different. Uh, but what went through my mind was I was sitting there uh, and my dad had been loving and caring and my family around a woman who had become pregnant. Um, and so there was a moment in time where she had become pregnant. She was a teenager. She was not married. And apparently the church felt like nobody had taken biology class because they're like, hey, in order for you to continue on at this church, uh, you've got to go out in front of everybody and tell them what you've done. Like it was like old school, split the aisle, Michael's not there, uh, come down the middle at the end of a service. And as long as at the point at the end of one of these services, you come forward and tell everyone what you've done, you can continue on in fellowship with this church. And do you know what happened? Never saw her again. And I remember my parents uh, in the little fragments of my mind that I can remember trying to process that and explain what had taken place. And I just remembered myself thinking, uh, I'm not sure I want to do this. If people like that aren't welcome, uh, because that's a lot of my friends. Then all through youth group, my friends were always the ones that weren't allowed to come back for different events. And I remember thinking, uh, if my friends aren't allowed to be a part of this, do I really want to be a part of this? And I got the advice from somebody who, uh, as incomplete as it might have been, had just said, Jesus really loves the church. Uh, Jesus died for the church. His blood dripped down the cross. So maybe the answer is not to, be, uh, to do away with the church, but maybe it's to do it differently. And so literally at 15 years old, that planted the first little seeds for me of saying, what is the church and how are we meant to live together? 
Uh, it wasn't just the last few years. It was uh, a journey from that point forward. And let me tell you this as well, because all of us have those wounds. But there are also some very beautiful and compelling pictures of the church that I think we've experienced. And so sometimes the, the, the loudest voice is the one that's wounded us. But I also want to draw our attention that there are people who call themselves followers of Jesus, who represent the reign and rule of Jesus, who have done some profound good, not just in the world, but in our lives. And I don't want us to miss that too. And every time we hear the word church, to not just think of the woundedness, though that's real. I'm not trying to bypass that. I have that too. But also remember, there's a compelling vision for the church, a community of justice and beauty and truth and healing and compassion and love sent into neighborhoods and networks of friends to represent the reign and the rule of God. That's a compelling vision of the church. Um, I want you guys to turn to each other, and this might be a bad idea, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, I've had worse ones, and we've done those, so we're going to do this one too. Um, I want you to turn towards a few people that are around you, maybe two, three, four. Don't make it 20. Like if that whole side of the group goes, then you're going to blame me when you don't all get to talk. Um, but here's what I want you to think through. Uh, if you were to look at Instagram or TikTok, what's the church? So if you're here now, and I just said uh, church, and your phone's on, Siri's listening to it, so you, unfortunately, in your algorithm now, are going to have different church things, Jesus things come up. And the people that pay the most money are the people that enter your feed, not the people offering the best content, not the people pointing to Jesus, but the people who paid the most money. That's how it works. Um, and so in, if you're just going off maybe your TikTok or Instagram feed, what would you think the church was? If that's what you had to go on, you're like, man, what is a church? And all of a sudden you're scrolling. Maybe you Googled it on accident and now it's filtering through absolutely everything you own. So what would it be? Uh, or maybe, um, if that's not your deal, uh, maybe just say this. If all you did was look at your own preferences, what would the church be? So you're like, I'm not on social media. Congratulations. What about if it was only based on your preferences, what would it look like? Um, and lastly, if you're like, I want compelling visions. I don't want that negative stuff. Uh, maybe if you were to look at the global church, what would church be? And so there's a positive one tossed in there, too. It's not just a complete setup. Uh, but maybe uh, the TikTok, Instagram, what would it look like? What would church be if that's all you saw? Or what would it look like if it was just based around your own preferences? Or maybe thirdly, even if you were to look at the, if your experience is globally, you're welcome to answer it from that perspective as well. I just look at the global church, and I would expect the church to look like that. Nick's got a mic, and we'll take a few of these. Uh, if you have an answer that you want to share, go ahead and throw your hand up. Nick will get you a mic, and you can do it in short form. Sound good? Yep, short, not long. Who's got an answer? You guys all had good conversations going. Dad does. Dad does? when your kid volunteers you. Way to use your voice for the common good, Owen. Always, always rely on you to... Yeah, bring it up. All right. Uh, we talked about just kind of like the the filtered images of what like the church would be and seeing all of the goods or all of the, the fancy kids programs or like the perfect, you know, holiday or Easter like stuff um, and maybe less about the, the nitty gritty like messiness of it. So just like making everything look all perfect. Yeah. That's great. What else you got? 
Yeah, make them run. <laughs> we mentioned how it's seen as a building, mm. not as a group of people. Yeah. What else? It's good. Brooke said Mike had a good one. Is that true? <laughs> I'll turn it back on no, you, Brooke. Not anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, this isn't true across the board, but my perception is sometimes church can probably look like a production, a speaker who stands up, good lights, who then gives information or teaching to inspire how to live maybe a morally good life or how to kind of live your best life um, and how Jesus helps us live our best life. Might even be able to write a book about that. Yeah. One or two more? Yes. Josh, if you've got the next one, that'd be awesome. (laughs) I'm actually going to share my new friend's and my new neighbor, because um, hers was awesome, but she was the one talking to Mike, which is totally cool. Um, was the, like, actually a picture of the Instagram one of, like, church can be whatever you want it to be. So it's like, um, you know, you on the, on the rocks fishing or something, and it's like, well, that was my church today. So it's actually, like, really isolated and alone, mm-hmm. and it can be whatever you want it to be. So I said that a lot of my social media is like focused on how multiracial, mm-hmm. multi-ethnic the church is, but that's not really the feel of a lot of churches. And mm. Michael added that the church is also in actuality multi-cultural <laughs> or multinational, mm-hmm. and that's not uh, like felt by most yeah. people, like either inside or outside the church. Yeah. Thank you very much. Nick, you can grab a seat. You didn't sign up for cardio, but we can thank you anyway. I appreciate it. Uh, I threw these two up there because I knew they'd come up. Um, Without a doubt, every time that we think about this, because this is largely how in the United States church gets portrayed. Uh, The first one is that it's a building, a time, a place. People think through, uh, where do you go to church? And they mean a building. They get really confused uh, when you start talking about church as anything other than a space or a time or a building. It's just the way that we've talked it. It's, it's a very normal thing. Uh, the second thing is that church uh, in our culture, especially through the lens of anything, if you are on social media, is increasingly becoming like what Mike said, a man or a woman with a mic talking directly almost into a camera and giving you in 30 seconds or less how to live your best life. Uh, and maybe Jesus is a big part of that. Maybe he's not. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's eyes locked on a camera, compellingly telling you this is how you ought to live your life by a man or a woman. And we uh, scroll through very quickly based on whether we like that little clip or not. Uh, that happens all the time. There's a myriad of other ways. And so that third column is left empty because there's a lot of creative capacity in our brains for what it could be. Uh, When I pull us together, I think that one of the biggest places, Jesus is Lord. Uh, What I want for us, uh, because I think we're most likely to think about church as what happens for this 90 minutes in here. 4.30 to 6 is 90 minutes for those of you math majors trying to figure that one out. Uh, Figuring out for that little block of time, well, that's kind of my church, and then I've got my life, and then I've got my friends, and then I've got my work. 
And the hope is that tonight, maybe more than others, uh, we will see afresh that when the Bible uses the word church, it never meant a building or a time or your own personal reflection on the rocks. Those aren't bad things. That's just not what that word means. For those of you that are familiar with the Princess Bride, there's that famous line where he says, uh, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Uh, for America, we often use the word church, and I don't think it means uh, what we think it means many times. And so if you're here and you're from Missio, uh, if you're brand new here, you can like tune off for two seconds. If you're a part of Missio, been around for a few years, uh, you might be thinking internally because you're polite enough, rolling your eyes, yeah, Platt. Or if you're like one of our littlest kids, yeah, bro. I get it. And here's what I want to invite you into. Uh, recenter yourself because rust develops quickly. What do I mean? If we're not actively following in the way of Jesus and consistently having our imaginations renewed, then rust develops quickly when it comes to following in the way of Jesus. Uh, we quickly, I grew up in the East Coast uh, where you have salt in the water, salt in the air, salt on everything and so we lived right on the water and what that meant is that everything that we had that was metal if it wasn't coated with a protectant surface it very quickly rusted that's when we, why when you buy used cars you don't want to buy them from the east coast because they put salt on the roads they have salt in the air and your car will fall apart quicker uh, than if it is from arizona long term and so that's just a pro tip we don't put salt on the road we don't have salt in the air it doesn't develop quickly rust but think about following Jesus as an East Coast way where rust develops really quickly. And none of us is immune from going back to an old way of thinking. None of us is immune to going back to a way of thinking that maybe we thought we had left. And so for tonight, enter in afresh. Uh, here's how I want to talk about the church. Uh, God's people who are formed by his power, filled with his presence, sent to accomplish his purposes in a specific place and time. Put those words there for us. God's people who are formed by his power with his presence sent to accomplish his purposes in a specific place and time. Uh, in one way, there is a church that has existed since Pentecost that goes throughout all the eras of history between then and now. And so you can think of that as Big C Church. It's the church that exists around the world, made up of believers in every nation that exists. Uh, we don't often think about it at that broad scope, but this definition fits for that as well. Uh, but for us, thinking about us in this place, people who are formed by his power, filled with his presence, sent to accomplish his purposes in a specific place and time. Uh, we're using as our home text for these three weeks, Matthew 28. So if you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and open it up. Matthew 28 will be in verses 16. Through 20 and then the rest of your Bible. It reads this way. It says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, meaning Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very 
end of the age. Uh, I love that this community is made up, and we made the point last week, it's those who are worshiping and those who are doubting. Uh, Jesus looks out at this audience and says, hey, some of you are full on board. Uh, remember, Jesus had lived, he died, he'd risen again at this point. And so some of them are looking at that saying like, I'm all in. Like that makes sense, I get it. Uh, I believe that Jesus is the one sent to heal the wounds of the world. When he announced good news, the kingdom's here, I get it. I'm in. I give my life to you. You are Lord. And I want to do this. And started rearranging their whole lives around that. Other people saw the events that took place, those events that we call the gospel events. And they're like, I don't know, man. That's been a wild journey. Like, like, like I believed, and then you died. And then I wasn't sure, and I was scared, and I ran away. But then you came back, and that's, that's different. I don't remember ever seeing that before, that, that somebody died, and they brought them, that God brought them back like that and announced, hey, good news, now the kingdom, new creations, here in an even more beautiful way. Uh, some of them had thought that he was going to bring a military campaign and just kick out Rome, and he wasn't doing that. And so, like, I'm not sure I want to go all in again. And I think that's where it maybe hits us a little bit more as people uh, largely in this community who have maybe had an experience with Jesus before, maybe gone all in and then been disappointed. Things haven't gone the way you expected. Relationships were broken. People you maybe ministered to left. Maybe your own heart was broken. Maybe the hope that you had has been disappointed. And so now you're here saying, I'm not sure I want to go all in again. I, I did that once. I'm not sure I want to. And what I love is Jesus looks out at both of those and he doesn't say, cool, you're worshiping, I'm going to address you. He looks out, some are worshiping, some are doubting, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am Lord. I am king. Therefore, same two groups of people. Go and make disciples in plurality, that these communities, and it was as these people lived in this reality and God's spirit came to them that churches were planted, that it went from just a proclamation that Jesus was Lord to literally men, women, and children for the last 2,000 plus years having lives restored, communities finding renewal, individuals finding healing in the gracious hand of Jesus, communities being formed and reformed, planted and replanted, passing from this small place in Palestine, literally throughout the known world. And so when we talk about planting churches and we talk about forming churches, when we talk about seeing churches flourishing, we're not talking about bigger buildings with bigger screens, with better preachers and the best guitarists up front. We're not talking about just showing up for a sermon and some songs on a Sunday. What Jesus calls his followers into is so much more beautiful and so much more compelling than any of those watered-down images. He is calling you as a woman or you as a man or you as a student to come under his authority as king and then live a life that declares good news, God's reign is here. And through that, disciples are made, matured, and then multiplied. Uh, this isn't something that you just have to look at me and be like, yeah, uh, that sounds really good, but that's your opinion, right? 
uh, what I want us to do is we're going to do something that we do in different times, and we're going to take uh, each act of the story of God. So if you see these symbols, this is your Bible. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, because your Bible doesn't quite look like this, uh, going across from the top, um, the first act of this story, let's see if I can do this in right. There we are. Creation, Genesis 1 and 2 in your Bible. And here's what I want you to see in every act of this story that God calls a people. He forms them by his power. He gives them his presence. He gives them his purpose. And then he gives them a place to work this out in, in every single act of the story. But so in the beginning, God created everything good, right, and beautiful. He creates all of creation. Uh, he separates light from darkness. He puts the stars in the sky. He puts, uh, separates dry land and water. He creates male and female. He puts together his creation in this incredible way. And you see that he forms not just one human, but two, Adam and Eve, complementary in order to represent the fullness of God to all of creation. Uh, he does this by his power, and we see it beautifully in this, right? It's creation. His word forms things, all of the universe, and then this humanity. And then he gives them his presence. He walks with them in the cool of the day, showing them the best possible way to live. And there's this beautiful image of them being naked and unashamed uh, before God with each other. Even with themselves, there's not this hiddenness and protectiveness, but a unity and a harmony and a shalom or a peace. But he doesn't leave them to just wander naked around a garden and say, cool, guys, I'll meet with you tomorrow. He actually gives them a commission in the garden. He says, be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, cultivate all the hidden potentials of creation. They have a purpose, a work to do, and he's got this garden to do it in. And the idea was that as they had image bears, right, as they had babies that would go out from there and they'd cultivate probably the garden from that point to the next point to the next point to the next point, and it would get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it would all be under the reign and rule of God, and that would be exciting and beautiful, and there'd be no, more, there'd be no sin, there'd be no sadness, there'd be no sickness, there's no disease, there's no death, there's no oppression, there's no starvation, there's no abuse in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 3, though, and we see it come out through Genesis 3 through 11 in what we call the rebellion, Adam and Eve choose to rebel against God. Uh, they rebel against God. And in this, we see them fracture all five of those things. Instead of saying, what's best for this community? Uh, what's best for these people? What's best for us together as these creation? They think, what do I want in this moment? Eve looks at the fruit and says, man, this looks really good to eat. Uh, and she takes the fruit that God had said, hey, you can eat of any fruit in the whole garden, just this one tree, don't eat of that one. And she takes it and she eats it, right? Because the snake told her, God, what God said is full of it. Just do what you want to do and everything will work out. Live your best life, and God's in the way of that. And so she eats it, and then she gives it to her husband, Adam, who's there with it, and he eats it as well. And so in the story of God, Genesis 3 through 11, your Bible, what we see is in those moments, sin is unleashed into creation, right? It begins to corrupt. It poisons. It pollutes God's good creation. And we recognize that what was meant to be formed by God's power, they said, actually, we don't want that. We don't want your power. We don't want your way of life. We want to do it our own way. 
and they experienced brokenness rather than rely on God's presence when he was gonna come in the cool of the day and wait for him and say, hey God, uh, we need you to help sort through this. The snake said this, uh, I feel this way, what would you say we should do? They acted as if God was not present. They forgot their purpose was to cultivate the hidden potentials of creation and instead just grabbed what they wanted in the moment, even if it meant causing death and devastation in that place that they were meant to care for. And as a result, that place that they called home was fractured. Earth has not been the same since that day. Humans have not been the same since that day. Relationships have not been the same since that day. But God doesn't leave his world without hope. Uh, He makes a promise, and maybe this isn't going to work. That's that one. And that's your Bible from Genesis 12 all the way through Malachi 4. Uh, God makes a promise to a man named Abram. He says, hey, out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. If you had Genesis 12, 1 and 2, he looks at him and says, "Uh, Abram, I know you don't have any kids. I know you don't have any land. You're a wandering nomad. uh, But I'm choosing you so that through you, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that's the nation of Israel that tracks through your whole Old Testament with God making promise after promise that he'll be faithful, that he'll bring a deliverer, that he'll bring a restorer, that he'll bring one who will make things right again. And your Bible tells that story, and in multiple different places, uh, he forms a people again. And then in Exodus, we realize as he forms them by his power, right, he pulls them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea. This people have been delivered. And he puts his presence with them again. One of the most uh, prolific images throughout the Old Testament is the temple, this place where the glory of God dwells. In this place, people would come to it and recognize that God is as grand as he says he is. That the beauty of the temple was meant to demonstrate the beauty of God's creation. That the holiness and the separateness of it showed that God is holy and separate. And this was a place where the glory of God would dwell and they would come in to this space to remember who God was and worship him for all that he was. And the imagery was that in that place, as they experienced the presence of God, that other nations would look in. Isaiah talks about how Israel was meant to be a light to the nations. Other nations would look in and be like, man, that God is good. This way of living is good. We want to be a part of this. And as a result, creation was meant to be blessed. Again, this whole place. But Israel fails in their calling. They don't do that perfectly. Uh, If you guys know the story of the Bible at all, uh, there's pockets where they get it right, but Mainly the storyline is God being faithful even though people aren't. Um, That story hasn't changed a whole lot, but it's still, that's what God's doing through the Old Testament. And then we come to the place where this story of redemption, and this is the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. In your Bible, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of those giving four different windows into the story of God as Jesus coming down to announce and embody good news. Uh, Remember, we just celebrated Christmas, which is the time when we remember that God, uh, Jesus, wraps himself in flesh and is born. Uh, He walks around in this world for 30 years, pretty much in obscurity. And then for three years, he steps on the scene and announces good news, the kingdom of God is here. A good news, that day that had been promised way back when, that God would send someone to make it right, that he would bring healing, that he was going to be hope, that he would bring restoration, that he would make things the way that they were always meant to be, bringing back heaven and earth together. 
That's happening in me. And that was their great hope in that moment. People that leaned into the message of Jesus were looking for that. People that rejected it thought that this guy cannot be that. And the religious and the Romans murder him for that. But Jesus doesn't stay dead, right? Three days later, he resurrects or raises again, saying, new creation's here. I'm the first fruits of that. What God did in me, he will do for all of creation one day. And then his followers, so just after the text that we're in today, go, all right, cool. Is now the time when you're going to set up your kingdom then? Finally, you'll kick out the Romans. Uh, finally, we'll be able to do everything we ever longed to do. Finally, we will be able to be a people again in your presence in this place, formed by your power, and it'll be beautiful, just like it was always meant to be. And Jesus says, not yet. I'm actually going to fill you with my own spirit and send you out to the ends of the earth to announce and embody good news that the kingdom is here. And that's your story from Acts through all the epistles. But the story doesn't end there. Uh, the very last story, sorry, you guys looked up, it's not there. Church. I don't know what's going on with this. You guys can figure out the next era is church. Uh, and then the final one is act of restoration, that one day uh, God will return to make everything new. Uh, one day Jesus will return to do what he had promised he would do. And that's what we read about in Revelation and different pockets along the way. That one day a new heavens and a new earth will be formed. And so until that day, there's a group of people who are formed by God's power, that they are given his presence, that they have a purpose, and they have specific places to represent his reign in. And that is the act of the church. That's who the church is. That's who we say we are when we say, hey, Missio Dei Mesa, Missio Dei Communities is a church that we believe that we're part of those people called to represent the reign of God everywhere we go. And so our marriages, our parenting, the way we're students in our schools, the businesses we form, the relationships we have, the way we engage in our neighborhoods are all meant to be shaped by this story. And so here's what I want you to do. Uh, many of us are reading through Matthew uh, together as a community. And if you're not, uh, don't worry about it. Somebody in your community has read at least one chapter. I'm looking around. It's true. Um, and so what I want you to do is if all you had, just for limiting, was Matthew 1 through 14, which is how much we've read together as a church so far. Uh, overachievers, don't go past that. Underachievers, just find your home in your one verse, and it's okay. But if all you had was Matthew 1 through 14, what would you expect the church to look like? One of the reasons that we're reading through Matthew again, and if you're not doing it, you're welcome to jump in. Tomorrow will be Matthew 15, uh, and you'll get to track with the rest of Jesus' readings. Uh, that'd be great to do. So Matthew 15 starts tomorrow if you're not reading along. If you are, uh, hopefully some things came to mind. And the hope is that as we spend time reading the words of these different friends of Jesus that were introduced or reintroduced to Jesus in a way that is fresh, that is different, uh, that may cause some different thoughts, some different convictions, maybe even startle us or frustrate us. 
uh, when we look at even just the Sermon on the Mount, if you were to say, all right, what if God's people look like this in the world? They would be people who understood the type of people that God's blessing poured out on is an upside down kingdom, not the wealthy and those who have it all together and those who have no need for others and those who never face suffering and those who are arrogant. But God's kingdom comes to the meek, the humble, the poor, the mourning. And that's where his kingdom takes up root. They'd be people who understood that the way that they lived in culture was meant to be salt and light. That you can't just believe in Jesus in your heart and not have him shape the work of your hands. Uh, there's no way that people can see your good works if you're not doing any. And Matthew, through, when he's giving Jesus a sermon, he says, do your good works in such a way that people glorify your Father that's in heaven, that they look and see. This is a good, flourishing way to live. It would be people who are able to connect both the historic roots of faith to the current practices of it. It would be people who didn't consume one another in their anger or in their lust but instead were generous with the way they lived their lives. It would be a people whose word mattered and they were honest and full of integrity in the way they did business. How many of us just long for a community that would at least do that? Uh, have you ever engaged with a group of people and found out they just don't tell the truth and they don't have to tell the truth and they're not expected to tell the truth and everybody else is expected to deal with it? It doesn't work that way. Society doesn't work that way. Communities don't work that way. Families don't work that way. And Jesus is saying, that's what I want my people to look like. They'd be a people given to forgiveness and not revenge. A people given to radical love of enemy, not just love of people like them. A people who are generous and charitable with the way they handle their time, their talents, and even their money. A people who were a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world because they were rooted in the deep faithfulness of God. A people who had practices or way of life in fasting and prayer and community uh, conversation that rooted them deeply in these things because we all are prone to stray. They'd be people who recognize that the strength of their life is not in their own ability, but in the strength of their Savior, who is Jesus. In the final imagery, it would look like as a people who have their house built on a rock instead of just sand that gets washed away when the storms of life hit it. And that's just three chapters. And so I am very well aware um, that that can seem really overwhelming. Uh, we just did the whole Bible and then the whole Sermon on the Mount. So when you go home, people are like, what do you guys talk about today? You can be like the whole Bible and then the whole Sermon on the Mount, which is just like Keystone Sermon. So we, we just did both of those. Um, and uh, I want to give you a second to take a deep breath, uh, tell you a little story. Chris Robertson and I are coaching, co-coaching a, a football team. So now you get stories from both Chris and I about football. So you guys are stuck with that. Uh, we had our first practice on Saturday, and we only made one person cry. True story. Uh, we made somebody cry. Um, one player, a part of the team, was crying in tears. And the reason they were in tears uh, wasn't that Chris had thrown a football and it bounced off their head. Uh, it wasn't that somebody had tripped them and they went sprawling. Uh, it wasn't even that uh, they really didn't want to be the Chicago Bears because nobody likes the Chicago Bears. And that's what our team is. That, now we get an amen. That whole Jesus thing, we didn't get a single Amen. Now I say nobody likes the Chicago Bears and we get one. Uh, the reason they were crying is that they went over to their parents 
and everybody else was having a good time. Everybody else had played football before. They had never played football before. And so they were just like, I am just so overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to stand. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with all of this information. And so it just leaked out of their little body in tears. And so we were able to come alongside them later and uh, work through this with them and talk through it and be able to process it, which is beautiful. But it's also an imagery for sometimes what happens when you gather with a church. Uh, there's a lot of information. There's prayers, there's songs, there's preaching. And maybe you're not going to go home in tears. Uh, maybe you are just out the door, right? You don't want to do it in here. Like, I don't know what to do with all this. That was a lot. It's a bit overwhelming. I want to give us just a few snapshots that I think will bring this back together and then we'll move to the table together. Uh, the first is if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a part of this extended family of disciple makers called the church. That, that's your home, that's part of what you are. Uh, Jesus called his disciples, he says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's identifying with the Jesus way of life. Uh, that's taking on a new name. That's saying, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, that's now who I am. And so you're a part of this international, multicultural, multi-ethnic family that's been formed by the power of God, filled with the presence, literally, of the Spirit, uh, been commissioned out with a purpose to go make disciples of your own in the place that you've been given as home. And this isn't an if I am that. If you follow Jesus, that is true of you. When you look at the New Testament, we see small, mobile, spirit-filled, everyday people commissioned to do the work of the church. You do not see uh, a whole lot of people with microphones in the New Testament, both metaphorically, obviously not literally. But you don't see a lot of that. You see carpenters, and you see house workers and you see business people and you see parents and you see wives and you see husbands and you see those that have experienced death and loss and loneliness and fear and frustration. You see children all coming together filled by the spirit to do the work that God had called them to do. And that's what the church is. Read that as you read church through your New Testament. The imagery is that Jesus is king and that forms a group of people who then carry out their role to make disciples and see that expand outward. We're here today because somebody long ago took their role seriously. Uh, second thing for us to see, that there's no hack for community life. There's maturity, but that's a process. There is no microwave discipleship community. Uh, we live in a culture that very much wants the hack. How do I do this uh, with the least amount of effort possible? If I can just figure out what that hack is, then all of this seems to work well. Um, there is no hack for being a disciple of Jesus. There's no hack for community life. Uh, one author says that the Christian community is, uh, let me just look it up real quick. Uh, the Christian community is the crucible for change. And that it's only in long-term committed relationships that are formed and fashioned by the love of God and of one another that we become what God intends us to be. There's no shortcut to getting there. Maturity takes time. We will bump into each other. We will frust each other. We will offend each other. That's why the Bible says so much about forgiveness, because we offend each other and need to forgive one another. There's a beauty that comes out of that over a long period of time as people endure together, struggle together, 
suffer together, wrong one another and forgive together. Dream of what a city could look like if the love of God took up residence a little bit deeper there and then gave of their time, energy, and money to see that accomplished as they partner with the Spirit. Four years ago, that's what we set out to do here in Mesa. Hopefully, 40 years from now, there's still a remnant that exists that's doing the same thing, but it might not be us. But that's what the hope is for this space. And the last thing I just want to remind us of is that we don't have a choice whether or not we're a church. We are that. What our choice is going to be is will we be a faithful or unfaithful church? Uh, Matthew is clear. The movement is to go and invite others into this kingdom way of life. But history is full of men and women on both sides of this. Some who uh, considered that and gave everything towards that, oriented life towards that, arranged life as if Jesus was Lord and were persevering to the end. And when they stumbled and fell, they got back up, offered forgiveness, and kept going and confessed that. And so nobody has a straight line towards discipleship. It's always look a little bit wonky. It's always a little bit curved. It's always a little bit messy. But continuing on in the pattern of grace in a community, watching what that forms is good news to a neighborhood or a city or a state. But it's also full of men and women and children alike who said, yes, Jesus is Lord. I fully believe that. But then along the way, get seduced by stuff or fame or a faster way of feeling good or a different pattern of life that led them far away from Jesus. And they never realized it at the time, but like a current gradually moves you. They find themselves one day saying, I really don't want much to do with this Jesus thing. I think I'm kind of done. And just kind of drift off the scene on the side. God has a heart for both of those people. Uh, Luke would tell us that he loves the religious who have wandered far from them. He welcomes that back in. He takes those who are rebellious and welcomes them in. But as a church, our prayer is to be a faithful presence in the place that God has called us as we are formed by his power together. And that's our hope. But each of us has a role to play in that. And so even as we move to the table, I want to invite you to reflect. Uh, has the last season of life been one of faithfulness to the role that God's given you in his story at his church? Or maybe it's one of wandering or wondering, is this even worth it? And to know that Jesus wants to wrap his arms around both group of people and say, this is a place, this is home, this is who you are, this is a community. The message will always be the gospel, but the community that Jesus has called together to be his people will always be the church. And so we hold both of those together. Would you guys pray with me?